This week on the podcast, we welcome Marcus Stitz, the author of Great British Gravel Rides, a book of 25 routes throughout England, Wales, and Scotland that brings us through the varied terrain in Great Britain through the eyes of community members throughout the aisle. Each route was designed by a gravel cyclist from that region in an attempt to get the best gravel routes across England, Scotland, and Wales. I enjoyed the conversation a lot, and I enjoyed the approach of the book, and I hope you will too. Before we get started, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Trek Travel and the Girona Gravel Bike Tour. Trek has been offering the Girona Gravel Bike Tour for a number of years, and you may remember an episode I recorded with them about Girona and what a gem it is for cycling in general, but more specifically gravel. I've been hoping and wanting to go over there myself for a number of years, and I'm excited to say that I'm going to be joining the November 6th trip, and I'd like you to join me. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Take a step back. You can do this. Come join me and ride gravel bikes in Girona. Trek's got everything organized for us from a wonderful hotel right in the center of Girona, as well as access to Trek bicycles to explore the countryside. We've got local guides that have designed amazing routes for us. So we're going to sample everything the region has to offer in this trip. I can't wait to get over there in November, and I'm hoping you'll be able to join me too. It'll be so good to pedal with some of you listeners and members of the ridership community. I know we've got a handful of people signed up already, and I would love to fill the hotel with people we know and love. As a special bonus, Trek's going to give anybody who registers via the podcast or the ridership a free handlebar bag with their trip. So make sure when you go visit trektravel.com, search Girona Gravel Bike Tour, and mention the podcast during your registration process. There's a number of dates this year remaining, but I will be on the November 6th trip, so I'm hoping we can shape the demand and drive you to that trip We'll have a great time, and I look forward to seeing you there. Remember, that's trektravel.com. Search Girona Gravel Bike Tour. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Marcus about the great British gravel rides. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> it's good to connect with you. I was super excited when I caught wind of this great, great Britain gravel rides book that you penned and excited to learn a little bit more about your background as a cyclist and what led to your passion to take on this project and do a great job kind of going throughout Britain and laying out some amazing routes for people. Yeah, it's like, it's been an amazing project to work on. And especially like, cause I guess people who live in Britain have, you know, have a better idea of the country, but if you, if you're outside the country, it's such a diverse place like it's it's you know from north to south i think yeah i've been to many countries in the world and it's like it's it's difficult to find a, a country which is which has got so many different places to write in terms of the conditions but also the people so my idea was really to kind of look at the gravel community in britain with all the different shapes and forms that comes and and, and do a book about it and and recommend routes to people pretty much as an inspiration to dig a little bit deeper and, and, and kind of go explore further. Yeah, I think that was a super interesting approach and I look forward to getting into it with you. Before we get started, why don't we give the listener just a little bit about an idea about your background as a cyclist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I think I generally came to cycling. I, I started cycling as a child. I grew up in Germany and you kind of learn cycling as default, I think. And I 
I'd never been in any cycling clubs and I wouldn't call myself like a keen cyclist when I was a child. And I pretty much picked up a mountain bike in, in my years at university because I lived in a place which had like pretty extensive forests. It's a bit like what you possibly, which comes really close to North American gravel or the idea what we have, like big metal roads and, you know, loads of pine forests and all pretty straightforward. So it was a great, great location to, to be based and, and do that. And then I finished university and went to New Zealand and I think that's where I really picked up the cycle touring adventure cycling mountain biking buck spent two years in Wellington brilliant location New Zealand in general is is just a it's a fascinating place to ride and it's also one of those places like there's yeah, there's, there's there's so much outdoor possibilities, and you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't come to New Zealand, I would presume, if you want like big city life or you want all the bells and whistles of massive cities like New York or LA or whatever. I think I really liked uh, the mixture between having an outdoorsy life, but also still having a bit of a city lifestyle. Wellington is a capital, so yeah, really enjoyed it there. Did loads of cycling over there, and then in in my time in Wellington, I also decided. In some shape or form, I want to do around the world trip, cycling around the world. And the initial idea was was just a cycle. So I finished my time in, in Wellington and moved back to Europe. I moved to Edinburgh. And while I was in Edinburgh, I had this idea, or maybe I could cycle from Edinburgh to Dunedin. Dunedin is one of the southern cities in New Zealand, and it's the old name for Edinburgh. So there's an interesting connection there. A lot of Scots settled in that part of New Zealand. So I thought like I could do a trip from Edinburgh to Dunedin. And then... At some stage, I think that developed further to say, look, if I'm doing half the world anyway, I might as well do the other half as well. And then, yeah, kind of did around the world trip from 2015, 2016 on a single speed bike. And when you and, when you were approaching that, Marcus, yeah. like, were you thinking at that point, like pedaling around the world is something I specifically want to do? Or were you more, I just want to travel and experience different cultures and different parts of the world? Yeah, I think it's the travel aspect, which is which which was the most important one. Like, and that's like I think this is coming. I think if you look at all my work so far, like I'm, I'm I would certainly say, like for me, cycling is an amazing tool to connect with people. Like, if you look at uh, any cycling community, it doesn't matter which one you're looking at. I think they're all slightly different, but I think what they all have in common: people who ride bikes speak to each other. This is this is I think it's, it's it's like and they either speak about bikes or you, you know, you just happen to have the same mode of transport. You talk about something else, and 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 for me that was the important one. I, you know, I was thinking about whether I'm going to go. This I don't think there's well there is no single speed record for going around the world, and I could have set that record. Like it would have been an easy task to do because there isn't such a thing. But that wasn't important for me. That never played in my mind. I was just like, you know, it will be, you know, it'd be an interesting thing to do, but it would take away from the trip. So for me, the round the world trip was to meet interesting people. I met so many amazing people in New Zealand simply by being friends with a couple of guys that worked in a bike shop and they kind of introduced me to the cycling community in New Zealand and when I back, went back to to Scotland it was kind of the same it was interesting I came back to Scotland and I initially didn't bring my bikes over to Edinburgh and it was the first thing I missed I was just like I want my bikes over here because there's such a convenient way to get around but also to make new friends um, if you move to a new place so that was the main that was the main consideration. So yeah, it was it was like, and 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 there is possibly, I guess a lot of people ask why single speed. Why why do you take a single speed bike? 
And I guess the most important reason for that one is you don't have to, you don't really need to care about your bike. Like, you know, it's got a chain which needs replacing every now and then. There's no fuff around the bike. It was a pretty straightforward build. You know, everything was rock solid. Most of the parts were steel. So, you know, like even even transporting the bike by plane was super easy because you just chuck it in a box. There's no derailleur that bends or any any other expensive part. So yeah, I think that was the that is the kind of and and you know that comes across very clearly in the book right now as well. Like I'm I'm always it's always people first. You know, it's about it's about the community and and how I connect with them and you know cycling is great. <laughs> I really yeah. enjoy cycling, but I would. I don't think I'd be enjoying just the cycling bit as much as as I do with yeah. the bit, people bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big element that everybody talks about with you know, our enjoyment of gravel. It's twofold. It's one, just sort of getting off the beaten path, and two, the community and the friendliness of it all. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just at least today it exceeds any other form, any other t- side of the sport of cycling. I don't think you just you don't get the camaraderie that you do on the gravel side of things. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, just on my, it's interesting to look back on the round the world trip because I was on the mountain bike. So I was on a 30 okra, which is, you know, it's a hardtail. You can, yeah, it's a typical hardtail mountain bike build. Basically, you could put some, I didn't have suspension forks, but it, you know, you could ride a bit of suspension fork as well. But if I look back now, and interestingly enough, I went to Emporia in Kansas. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of, well, now I'm going travel, but back then, Dirty Kansas, and I wasn't really aware of that. And I stopped in Emporia and stayed with a guy called Mark. He was a retired policeman. And he kind of introduced me to the whole yeah, the Kansas Cravel community. It was awesome. It was amazing. I think there's still a wee picture in one of the pups um, of me and my bike <laughs> sitting there. I was, I was really sore on that day because I cranked like 220 kilometers and everyone had told me Kansas is flat as a pancake and it isn't. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's a straight lie because the east of Kansas is very, very hilly. The further west you get, the you know the the the, the flatter it gets. But yeah, cycling along there in the east of Kansas is no piece of cake at all. But this is the kind of thing, and so I kind of got introduced to the kind of the idea of gravel. I heard, of, you know, I had heard about gravel bikes, but you could, you know, you might as well argue that I've been riding a gravel bike around the world. It's just, you know, just a different bars. They have Jones bars and, instead of drop bars, like, and yeah, it's the, I think it's the least. There's no real conventions yet. There's no, there isn't really anything that you kind of, you don't have to have a certain thing to, to identify as gravel cyclist. But you know, and that that's the nice thing about it. It's a bit like, it's like, for me, it feels like I would have been, I, I would have loved to be there when mountain biking developed in Marin County and, you know, kind of was literally about people kind of riding around on bikes having a good time yeah (laughs) doing some doing some crazy things and not really caring about conventions whatsoever and i think we are with travel cycling it's nice to be in the middle of you know i think i think things keep coming back it's like the early days of the tour de france as well which i i basically think laid the foundations of what you now call the ultra cycling you know again it was people you know, people just 
having a good time being you know also being ambitious about things and you can you can you can say the thing about mountain biking as well you know those things develop and i think we're there with travel cycling at the moment which is quite to be right in the thick of it in no doubt i think it will at some stage diversify as well you know we've got suspension forks now we basically have mountain bike tires now on travel bikes but that's okay you know i think it's you know this is this is the evolution where things go but like just being there right right there right now is 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 great yeah it's certainly one of the impetuses behind this podcast beginnings was it was just such an exciting time i thought in the sport of cycling and someone as you know i had been around cycling my whole life yet i still made mistakes when i bought my first gravel bike and realized like Oh, I didn't set it up the way I should, and I didn't make the choices I should. And I was like, if I've been around bikes and worked in bike shops and worked in the bike industry, and I still managed to screw up this purchase, there's a lot of people and a lot of questions. And fast forward three yeah. years, I, I still find myself having interesting conversations with product designers and seeing interesting innovations and new options that just allow people to personalize this equipment to wherever they call home or whatever they're intending to do. Yeah. And and I think it's I think it it has made pretty big leaps as well. If I I think one thing for me to, which sticks out is tires. Like if I if I look back and so I <laughs> I think if you want to put an official date to it, when I started travel riding was in 2017 when I had a Sodi Strackler and and mapped the first travel bikepacking route in Scotland. And I know back then, I mean, your choice of tires was the 30 knots the bike and i could have gone for a schwalbe g1 all round and there were a few other tires kicking around on the market but if you look at right now <laughs> just 12 alone has seven different yeah. travel tires whoa you know and, and not speaking about any of the mountain bike tires you can now you know if you look at a fast rolling race tire for a mountain bike you can stick that on a gravel bike these days because they're you know the clearance is wide yeah. enough to, to yeah. ride those and so i think this is where you see like how much you know how quickly the market or the the, the industry has progressed and in, in, in those kind of aspects so the choice yeah. is, is is huge right now and yeah it's 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 great but i also think you know i think it's interesting because I think one thing the book or working on the book has kind of like forced me to do, and I had a keen interest as well. It's just kind of, and, and this is, I think this is where Britain is really interesting, is to kind of look back to, you know, what what you can now call gravel riding. Where, where did it start? And if you look at Britain, like it started in the 1920s here because there's been the rough, the, so there's been an organization or, called the Rough Stuff Fellowship. And that, that's, if you want to sum it up, is people starting to ride bikes off the beaten track in in Wales, in England, in Scotland, and various things. And, you know, back then there weren't really any tarmac roads. I don't think, you know, I don't think they had the intention, it, like they, they weren't deliberately riding off-road, but they, they did ride them off-road because there was literally no other network to use. There weren't any tarmac cycling paths. You know, there were a few roads back then, but not nearly as much as you have these days. And they just simply rode their bikes wherever they're pleased to go. And I I think, like, I have that in the introduction of my book. For me, that's kind of like where it all originates. And then you look at Australia, you look at the Overlander, who, again, like, this is like, 
possibly the very early stages of bikepacking, you know, who went from A to B. I think it's tricky because I think what we have now is modern gravel bikes. They are definitely much more advanced. I'm riding, at the moment, I'm riding a 1970s Claude Butler bike. So it's one of those bikes, you know, that, that people potentially took when they were rough stuffing and it's awesome fun to ride. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it for a challenge. But you also see, you know, if you've got a modern gravel bike, yeah, I mean, this is much more forgiving. Like I was talking to a friend about that today. Disc brakes, for example. Whoa. Like they made such a difference, especially if yeah. you ride in Scotland. You know, if you've got rim brakes and you're going down a long downhill, you have to stop three times on the downhill because otherwise you're just, your, your rims are glowing afterwards. So, you know, things like this which I found is super exciting. Like, you know, the, I think the concept, I think there's also two, uh, there's interesting two things to gravel riding. I think there's gravel riding as a concept of riding up and then there's gravel, gravel bikes, you know, which possibly are what we, what we have now as gravel bikes, drop bars, you know, a geometry, which is possibly closer to a road bike than it is to a mountain bike. Um, tire with, I don't think you can define that any longer because it's been going up and up. And, you know, I don't think we're far off having, I don't know if we're ever going to get the three inch tires on a gravel bike. We might do, who knows? But I think this kind of, and my book's really much picking up on the idea of gravel riding as a concept. That's why when I, when people were asking me, well, like, oh, do I need to have a gravel bike? Then I was like, no, take whatever bike you think is suitable off-road. Bear in mind that the people who will be reading this will potentially be riding this on a 45 millimeter tire drop bar bike. So, you know, there shouldn't be any, any severe drop offs or whatever in there. But if you ride that on a gravel bike, or if you take your full size mountain bike or whatever bike you, you think is suitable, please do that. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to restrict anything to that concept. Yeah. I thought that I saw that note at the beginning of your book. And I think that's spot on. It's like ride what yeah. you have. Gravel is more about the sensation, the community, ex exploration, all these different ideas above and beyond yeah. the type of bike you actually are throwing a leg over. Yeah, yeah, and this is, and yeah, and and that especially in Britain, there's <laughs> there's many terrains you can ride your bike over. over yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So just finishing your your sort of backstory, you finished the round yeah. of the world trip, and then mm -hmm. obviously like you continue to be inspired by the sport of mountain biking yeah. and did some other big adventures. Yeah. I think that, so, I mean, if you look at my career, if you want to call it such, I've always been a person who's been, I've been always been inspired by many things. Like I, you know, I can't, I didn't have a straightforward career path. I did a multitude of things in my life. And when I came back from the round the world trip, but basically I had a, I had a decision to make what I'm going to do right now. Am I going to go back to a nine to five? I never had a nine to five job as such, but you know, am I going to go back to, to employment and let someone else paying my wages and I'll do my fair bit? Or am I going to use all the experience I have from the round the world trip? Because I think what the round the world trip has really taught me is to, you can take so much stuff out of a year on the bike into, into the life afterwards. You know, it's about leadership. It's about decision-making. It's about adapting to new environments. And so I had all of, you know, all of that came with the trip. It wasn't, wasn't just about riding a bicycle. And I felt like, you know, you can, it's going to be a tough one to start something new. No doubt about that. But 
I'm in a good position to be there. So I started working freelance and, and I had designed a route around Edinburgh before I left for the Around the World Group called the Capital Trail. And the feedback for that was great. And I felt like, well, I'm just going to pick up there and this, you know, I tried to establish myself as, yeah, offering something else in the tourism industry. Tourism back then in Scotland was basically, bikes didn't happen, you know, bike routes didn't really happen either. And I thought like, you know, if I can, if I can make a living out of, of, of really pushing Scotland ahead in terms of cycling routes and whatever, then that'd be a great thing. And my, my background before I was marketing. So if you combine around the world trip and interest in developing new routes and having the marketing background, because in the end of the day, a, you know, a route's only interesting if people know about it and, and actually ride it. There's nothing nothing worse than designing a great route and no one knows about it and no people are not using it. So I kind of chucked that all in one bowl and then also found myself, because I wanted to have a little bit of financial security. So I accepted a two-day-a-week marketing role at the book festival. So back then, we're going back then and with the idea of writing a book because I always thought like, Cool. If I ever gonna write a book, it will be will be quite good to have some some connections in the book trade and in the book world and kind of do that. So that job paid the rent, and the the other work was kind of like what whatever focus I make in that direction is gonna be great. And those were the early days of bikepacking Scotland, and and yeah, that's pretty much progressed since twenty seventeen. And yeah. I've, I don't know. My my life's taken some interesting turns. I think right now I'm sitting here possibly quite a few people know my films which is which is great when I started that I would have never thought that I've written a book now I've worked with several councils and destination marketing organizations in Scotland to really help them to understand cycling understand cycle touring and, and, and developing products for them that they can actually put to people and say look if you want to come to this part of Scotland this is what you can do and we help you doing this and and that's kind of in a nutshell is what bikepacking Scotland is. It's not just it's not just route planning, it's not just filmmaking, it's not just bike you know, it's like it's a mixture of, of all the different things and yeah, it's been a it's been a great journey. Yeah, amazing. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book. So you you yeah. you've sort of endeavored to kind of cover Scotland, England and mm-hmm. Wales and give gravel riders a view of the entire country, the landscape through not only your eyes, but the eyes of a very diverse set of athletes, which as I mentioned earlier, I thought was a really refreshing approach. Because one of the things in in my mind, these routes that we find online, they lack personality, right? You're getting a GPX file and you're you're seeing where something goes, but it's very hard to understand what that's going to feel like. It's very hard to get data on, you know, what, what kind of bike tires do I need? What kind of equipment do I need for these things? Or even more importantly, like what are the communities going to be like when I go through them? And yeah. you know, as part of the reason I started a community called the Ridership because I just I wanted an online forum to be able to connect with riders around the world and just get that real world data. You know, so if I'm going to Scotland, I want to talk to someone who's ridden these roads and trails and just give me a few of the inside tips about what's going on. So I'd love for you to just yeah. kind of talk about why you decided to approach it that way and what it meant to you and how you connected with the, the numerous athletes that helped you design routes throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I think there's this 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 two basic thoughts I had on the back of my head when I started researching the book. I think the nice thing about gravel riding that it seems to be attracting much more women into the sport than than other than other sports in general do. I, I do think that road cycling, although this is changing, and it's a good thing to see it changing, but I f- still feel that road cycling is such a male-dominated domain of cycling, you know, and, 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 and mountain biking is more diverse, I think, by its very nature. But, you know, I still... I was looking at many cycling magazines and thought, like, why is there, so, why is there always a male a man in his 40s with white shoulders looking angry on the front of the cover you know it's just it didn't really like it it didn't appeal to me and I thought like you know I think I, I think it's particularly hard and 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 I guess it's the same in the US we've seen we've seen cycling attracting quite a lot of new people thankfully and that was mainly due to 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 the COVID restrictions and that people all of a sudden recognized Right, I can't do anything, but I can still jump on a bicycle and have a good time. So it was possibly one of the it was one of the good things coming out of a pandemic. But I always feel like we didn't really cater for the people who are new to the sport, and 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 we also didn't really cater for 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 people of a different ethnic background. It's you know it's just like I I think it was always a bit too narrow. And what one thing I found on the round the world trip. That's the cool thing. If you go to different countries, you see how diverse cycling actually is. You know how, like how 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 it switches, and that's one thing I wanted to have in there. And then the other thing I was really keen on as well is, is public transport. Like it gets a really bad reputation in Britain most of the times, and it's nowhere near ideal. I was I was born in Germany, and my girlfriend lives in Norway, so there's just this 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 countries in the world which do much much better at that. But it, I also think that we're still doing okay in this country. <laughs> so I thought like, right, okay, I want people to get to those places ideally by train or by bus, so they don't have to own a car. If they own a car, that's fine. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a precondition of riding your bike, having to get to those places by car. And I want to have a nice mixture of routes. So I want some easy ones in there. I want also some really gnarly ones in there because you know whoever's gonna buy the book, they'll be at different stages in their cycling thing, cycling career or whatever you want to call it. And I also want to have landscapes in there which are really representative of Britain as such a diverse country. And you can kind of imagine there's a lot of logistics kind of like... So I came up with this matrix of kind of like, ideally, this is kind of what I feel the book should be looked like. And then and then and then I feel like, well, I know a few people already, Jenny Graham, Mark Bowman, and a couple of other people featured in the book. So this is gonna be a great starting point. But then I really want to reach out to people which I don't know, you know, but who ride gravel bikes. That was the only or, or not even ride gravel bikes, you know, they you happen to be riding off road i would possibly keep it as 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 far as that and yeah and then with the help of of my connections with the sponsors of the book i was just building this list of people and then <laughs> the other i think the additional challenge was also that i kind of needed to slot them in so i did the book research within other projects as well so yeah and and 
it, it turned out to work pretty well. Like I was, I was fascinated by the thing. And I guess the, the big takeaway for me was like, it kind of felt a little bit being transferred back to the process of the round the world trip. You know, I think the round the world trip was very much so the what I, I did ride my bike during the day and then in the evening I was really looking forward to speak to people, have a conversation. And and the nice thing about this book research was so there were some people I knew and you know we rode our bikes together and uh, you know it felt like you know being out on a great ride with a with a friend you hadn't seen for ages. And then there were the new people in the book which I didn't know much about it. And it, that was great as well because you know it takes five to 10 minutes and then you kind of know roughly what you want to talk about you know you want to talk about the roots and and the nice thing about this approach it really felt like they are taking me on their favorite routes and they're really showing me their neck of the roots not from a tourist perspective but from a local's perspective this is where I ride my bike this is a cool cafe you should be going to because they've got amazing brownies. This is the pub yeah. we should be stopping at. And and I think that made the whole experience so much richer. And and ultimately also, I think for the reader, you know, they, I, I think one thing I always miss, like not so much cycling guidebooks, but if you look at places, guidebooks like Lonely Planet or, you know, one of the bigger ones, I think with Lonely Planet, you used to get a really authentic experience. You know, it is debatable what the word authentic actually means, but you don't get these days. I don't think so. You know, you'd be shuttled into a range of accommodation and some places, and it's a bit hit or miss. Some places are good, some of them not so much, (laughs) you know, and I think with this approach, I was kind of, my, my, my pitch to people was just like, show me around your neck of the woods, take me to the cool places, you know, like take me around as you would have a great ride that it is for you. And that also came up with very different approaches. You know, I had Guy who's featured, Guy Kesteven. He's super fast. <laughs> so we kind of went full guns blazing to the to the tea shop, had a nice tea, and then we went full guns blazing again. It was great. You know, it was like there was a thing. Whereas there were other approaches where everything was a bit slower and, and a bit more relaxed and, and yeah, and yeah, I really loved the process. It was just really yeah. personable. Yeah, it's super interesting. I remember in the early days of the pandemic when a lot of the big gravel events in the United States were getting canceled. One in particular put a call out to kind of friends and people in the community to do a virtual event on the day of their race. And what I thought was the output of that exercise is that all around the country, you have these routes created by people who absolutely love the sport and absolutely love where they live. And so it was just basically, I described it as sort of a a love letter to the gravel cycling community by creating this route. And it sounds like you got a lot of that out of this experience and this process that you entered in for this book. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I mean, the pandemic pandemic played, I mean, it played a key role in the book because it was, I mean, the whole idea was was based out of, I don't know, I've stopped counting how many lockdowns we went through in the process. And because <laughs> I initially thought like I didn't, 
like I, I wouldn't say I had an idea of a book in my head and when the whole thing kicked off I was just like maybe this is exactly the right time to do a book because the, for me writing a book was always there was always taking there was always something else that was taking priority because it's a big daunting project you know it's like I spent about a yeah like a good part of a year doing this book if you count in all the things and it's you know it it does take especially the writing it really takes you you really need to sit down and kind of write i'm going just going to concentrate on that and it's you know it's just like it's it's easier to do smaller projects no doubt but yeah when it all kicked off i was like okay if there's something good about this is you possibly find time to do this now because you'll be less distracted by other stuff you can't travel abroad um you know there's just no such thing and um and and also when you when i i think the interesting thing about travel bikes is that when we were sitting in our living rooms or in you know in the best case scenario with our garden and having a bit of nature around us all the bikes all the other bikes are quite difficult to ride from your front door you can ride a road bike if you happen to live in a place that has some nice roads and is not too busy you can ride a mountain bike if you happen to live next to mountain bike trails but I would say for the majority of people, like there was always something, you know, for roads, either the roads are too busy or the mountain bike trails, they're okay, but you, you know, they are not quite. And with travel bikes, in a way, the travel bike is a, is a perfect pandemic bike because you can take it off on road. So you can ride all of those mountain bike trails, which are okay to ride on a travel bike, but you possibly get a little bit bored on your full sussa. And you can ride those cycle paths and you can ride those quiet roads. But, you know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a lovely mixture. Like you can get so much out of, of gravel bikes without, you know, having to push for one thing or the other. And, and that became very clear. And then there's one, one interesting story in the book, Andy from Trumper Cycles, who basically had this idea of building a wooden gravel bike and the idea kind of got shelved initially. And then when lockdown kicked off, that was basically what he focused on and <laughs> came up with this beautiful piece of work. And, and it's, it's all of those little stories. I tried to, you know, I think we're all getting a little bit tired of what happened in the last two to three years. And, you know, it come with dire consequences for some people as well. But I also think, if if you're looking the positives to take out of like being forced to reconnect with nature being really seeing the value that if it all fails you can still go out there and have a bit of an adventure and even if it's i don't know 10 kilometers away from home that's what's coming to quite clearly in the book and and that was an interesting thing as well as you thought about the book and obviously there was a there was this notion of guidebook as a concept, yeah. even though you strayed away from that and made it much more yeah. personal. But as you thought about Great Britain and across Scotland, England, and Wales, presumably you had some notions of like, these are must-have areas that I need to cover. My question is, how much of that drove what ended up in the book versus people you got connected with and the roots that they were saying, you've got you've to put this route in the book? It was... Yeah, so I knew Scotland well, you know, and I there's obviously there's some there's there's some bits of Scotland I really wanted to have featured in there. So I think Scotland, if you look at it, it was 
it was a bit like looking around my personal environment and you know this is a cool place to write who do i know in that place and you know do they fit in there for the other parts of Britain, it was pretty much a blank canvas you know i and and i think this is this is this is quite interesting i guess there was one another bit of a guiding principle behind it is like i'm if you look at all my work in the uk especially in scotland i'm a I think I'm a firm believer in that the best places to cycle are actually the places that don't get a lot of tourism, that are not overrun by people. Because I I think like the popularity of some places, especially in the last five years with channels like Instagram and TikTok and whatever, like I've, I, I could name a few people in Scotland, places in Scotland I wouldn't want to travel to these days because they are just like... It's for me. It's not an authentic version of what Scotland is like. It's a very fabricated and you know kind of like influencer kind of based version of what the country is like. And 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 my especially in Scotland, my vision, my my picture of Scotland has always been a very different one. You know, a, a country which has <laughs> super friendly people who are actually really really grateful about you being in the place and you know visiting them and whatever and the other thing i also felt like we i i i do think you know i was looking at so where are people actually living in the uk and and you will often not find london or milton keynes or newcastle upon time in a guidebook because they're big cities and I think your vision of a country to travel to so would someone who travels to Britain necessarily travel to Newcastle possibly not you know would they would they choose London for riding a bike maybe not <laughs> you know so I thought like I want to have some some I want to have some odd places in there you know I think a travel route around London is amazing because yeah. you know this is this is where like people sit on top of each other. This is exactly the place where people need to go out and have an adventure. Um, yeah, I think that approach, a... it, it sort of serves two masters, right? It, it one inspires people in London of this yeah. idea that they can be a gravel cyclist living in London. And the mm-hmm. second thing is, you know, many travelers may find themselves in London and see that as an opportunity to ride in a place that they never thought they could ride. I, I think about in the United States, I always loathed going to Las Vegas. And then I learned about this mountain bike terrain right out, outside of Vegas that's world-class. And all of a yeah. sudden it's like, okay, maybe I, I will accept a trip to Vegas because I can go sneak off and do that and get my fill of the outdoors and then experience the yeah. zaniness of, of, of Las Vegas. Yeah. And I guess I think the approach that kind of like, I always found like you can basically move to any place in the world as long as you have, cool people there you can do stuff with you know you 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 might be in the best place in the world to ride bikes if they if you know if you don't know anyone there and 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 you you can't connect to the people i just yeah. i just think the people are first and you know you, they'll show you i don't know and and then i think you you get you get quite and that's the thing i love about travel riding you know you can there isn't really any like there is no such thing as a gravel trail in especially in Britain. Like we don't have those big metal roads. We have some of them, but is the majority of riding over here? <laughs> it's I would say varied. You know, ex- 
expect some odd things, you know, expect a bit of single trail, expect the odd bit of road or whatever. You know, we, we don't have hundreds and hundreds of miles of long, you know, really, really extensive gravel roads as such. But I think this is also that the thing that makes it such a unique place, you know. Yeah. And it's also it's also I think what you find when you come to here, it's the oddity of the place, you know, that any place the thing and, and that really came true when I traveled to the places and rode there, especially the places I hadn't really been beforehand. Everyone's proud of the place they live in, which is great. Like there hasn't been a single place where people say, oh, you know, it's a bit, you know, mixed. No, no, they were super, you know, they, they were, they were, they were, they were super passionate about the places they live. And, you know, they yeah. accepted in some cases, you know, if you want to go riding in Newcastle, yeah, you need to go to some areas which are, you know, they are not tourist destinations. But it's, I always find it fascinating. Those are actually the places where you meet some really cool people, some, you know, you get a really interesting experience. And, and, and that's the thing. I, I, and, and one thing for me, on, on the political things, we had some, some pretty interesting years in this country of, of division. People voted for and against Brexit and, Scottish independence referendum. So there was loads of stuff that, you know, where people pitched against each other. And I, 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 so one thing for me that came, came across in the whole research is there's actually so much more in the country that kind of unites people than it is that it's dividing them, you know, and, 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 and the culture over here, like, Wherever you want to go, just find a pub. <laughs> You'll find some interesting people from all walks of life who will happily share, you know, a beer with you or whatsoever. And 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 kind of like that's the thing I loved. And there was only it was it was for me. It's kind of back to the initial reasons why I moved to to Britain to Scotland because people were welcoming the love good chat the love to help you and yeah it's, it's all really welcoming and that that hopefully comes across in the book yeah it definitely does and again super interesting approach i'll put a link to everything in the show notes so people can find this book and some of your other work and mm -hmm. i think it's it's a fascinating way to explore what gravel looks like in great britain and get to know a bunch of interesting people along the way yeah yeah and yeah. and it's also I think one thing I forgot, which is possibly a bit of improvement. Like it's it's also I've always found that like the people featured in the book, they're also really happy to share their knowledge. You know, so you know, just yeah, like yeah, <laughs> if you happen to see them and meet them, speak to them. <laughs> Absolutely, cool. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for the time. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Marcus for coming on the show. I loved learning more about gravel riding in Great Britain, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Special thanks to our friends at Trek Travel and that Girona Gravel Bike Tour. I hope you'll be able to join me on the November 6th trip. Remember, just go to trektravel.com and search Girona Gravel Bike Tour. During the registration process, make sure to mention the podcast as they're throwing in a free handlebar bag. If you're interested in connecting with me, please join The Ridership at www.theridership.com. It's a free global cycling community where you can interact with riders from around the world that are as passionate about gravel cycling as you are. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride where ratings and reviews 
are hugely appreciated. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.